Well, the haters gonna hate, 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 and the fakers gonna fake, 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 baby. I'm just gonna make, 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 making luck, making luck. A Dominion podcast. Welcome to Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. Yeah, that was good. I am Jake, and joined always by host number one of two. Uh, is that me? Alphabetically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's me. Hey, I'm Adam. Yeah. Alphabetically. Uh, I'm Jake alphabetically. You can and just call me alphabetical Adam. A fun fact, if we assign this meritocracy to exclusively to the alphabetical value of your name, Adam is superior to me in every way. Wow! Wait, what's your middle name? Michael? Ah, crap, you got me there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't become world champion just for showing up and uh, not falling asleep. During three-player games of Dominion, you, you gotta have the right name if you're catching what I'm throwing. Yeah, it helps you get in the right brackets. It also helps a lot of people join your tables on the Dominion client. Yeah. Because <laughs> you show up at the top of the list. Yeah. I open a table, and like I have ten people sit down, and I have to kick them. And <laughs> I stopped feeling bad a long time ago. Yeah, he doesn't feel anything anymore, actually. Yeah. Once you die inside, <laughs> like a lot of life gets simpler, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Good times. Well, so. well anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, yeah, the, the raffle last time. Let's talk about the raffle, because I finally yeah. figured out a part of my computer to give to people. I'm excited about this. Absolutely. So, as always, the last time that we did the raffle, we were giving away part of Adam's computer. And the winner of this raffle is actually our first two-time raffle champion. Ooh. Congratulations, Adam Horton's wife. You win part of Adam's computer. Wow. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait a second. How did she win? But No, this isn't cool. Has she been stuffing the ballot? I, what are you well, doing with my wife behind my back, huh? Listen, Adam, you owe her part of the computer. That's how it is. Okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I've got some dust that's stuck <laughs> to my, my uh, cooling fan system. That I can pull off, and it looks great. It might even have some cat hairs in it, which I know my Ooh. wife would be excited about because our cat is luxurious and striped. She might even take them to the kitchen wall. <laughs> <laughs> some uh, similar things have been known to happen. Yeah. And uh, I guess I guess Megan and I are going to have a little talksy uh, about... Uh, well, before we get into marriage counseling and the like, <laughs> we are going to announce the winner of next week's raffle is actually going to get a very special prize, Adam's TV. And we <laughs> no! are going to no! be very excited to They're get that away. They're not getting Adam's TV. Adam's television set will go to the next no! person who wins Adam's our raffle on set Making will Love, not be a Dominion going. podcast. <laughs> Adam's television set will not be going to that person okay my uh, television set will be staying right where it is he has to sleep sometime right there <laughs> right there you see that that's the tv you could win no that's not the tv <laughs> you could win that's a tv that you can't win because it's my tv <laughs> we'll see all right so i didn't see you steal the dust from my computer brah yeah you're not gonna see it at all if you know what i mean am i supposed to be afraid uh you're supposed to sleep sometime. And... Ooh, I'll sleep in a few hours. All okay. right. So, speaking of sleeping, three-player Dominion. Uh, yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't play any three-player games with the Last Kingdom, but uh, with the with the bread from the last time, <laughs> uh, we played some two-player games. Uh, given yeah. that it had Ambassador, I just wouldn't recommend ever playing a three-player game. Ever with or without Ambassador, but this one had Ambassador, so definitely don't play it with three. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, yeah, let's let's read the cards. So we had Overlord, Royal Blacksmith, Ambassador, Lookout, Wishing Well, Envoy, Procession, City, Governor, Hagler. We had Arena and Triumphal Arch. Once again, for our audio-only listeners of Making Luck, a Dominion podcast. That voice changes every time, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. I'm kind of always is, excited is that, to hear it. Is that part of the charm? Um, you might call it that. Yeah. That's oh. really up to them. Yeah, it's, I, that's true, that's true. Let, let me know, which is your favorite voice? And also, Overlord, Royal Blacksmith, Ambassador, Lookout, Wishing Well, Envoy, Procession, City, Governor, Hagler, we had Arena and Triumphal Arch. And uh, last time, uh, we had talked about, uh, I mean, we, we, we both agreed that Ambassador War was pretty important here. Yeah, uh, as it pretty much always is. That's, that's a thing. Uh, the, the governors were probably a lot of the payload you were going to be going into. I mean, there's no plus buy, so like the only yeah. way to get more than one card in the province in a turn is either to turn on the cities all the way or go governors. Yeah, and once you turn on the cities all the way here, the, it's probably too dangerous of a move to make without your opponent just winning on his next turn. Right. Which kind of ties into last week's episode, which was endgame play. I do want to make a quick side note that... If you are not really clear what we mean by Ambassador War, there is a an article on Ambassador that's fantastic and will explain why it's actually such a powerful card in the centerpiece of most boards where you see it. And Adam has uh, linked it to his Reddit. I'm sure we can link it in the comments as well. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's one yeah. of the best Dominion articles I've ever read. It's, uh, Ambassador's a good card. Yeah. And if you're somebody who has not really felt the full brunt of Ambassador before, make sure you feel the brunt of it in that article and not in a game of Dominion that you didn't understand. I don't know. I, I like losing Dominion. No, I don't. That's yeah. a lie. That's not true. <laughs> oh, you don't like losing to Ambassador either. Those are miserable. Yeah. Those are like... Those feel bad. <laughs> so... Yeah, we, we agreed that the Ambassador War was going to be pretty important, and I think we also agreed that Governor was going to be the main vehicle for actually winning the game. Yeah. And that's kind of where our agreement ceased in a lot of ways, I think. But um, we we went back and forth a little bit on Overlords and how important they were. Yeah, like a lot of times when you're looking to open with an Overlord, you're looking for like a, like an attack <laughs> Or like a trashing card that's that you wouldn't be able to otherwise have. And so I was waffling a bit on if I wanted to open with an Overlord. I thought maybe Double Ambassador or Ambassador Lookout to open with would be pretty good. But it turns out that um, what I think was best here was opening with an Overlord. So yeah, I, I missed that one. And uh, and actually there was, a, there was a comment we had from Gazbag who... Uh, it did a pretty good job of explaining, like, why you want to open Overlord. So, like, there's this period of the game, the first several turns, when you're just shoving cards back in the supply and flinging them at your opponent with the Ambassador. Right. And uh, during that period of the game, you're not going to be making very much money on your turns. The opening salvos of the Ambassador War, typically. Not a very prosperous few turns. Yeah. Not, not, for, not for many people's dominions while they're... <laughs> 
busy with politics. Especially here, because you have overlord debt, but moving on to why that's important. Well, yeah, but it turns out that, like, <laughs> if you're just going to make one or two dollars a turn, you're not, you're not doing much anyway. Yeah. So, like, having the debt isn't a huge encumbrance. No, it's really not. So, so like, you, you open with an overlord, you have, you have a debt, and it's fine, because you're just mostly thinning and getting control over your deck. And so, like, you pay off the whatever debt you can when you can. And then, when you don't have any debt and you can buy a card, you just buy another overlord, and you kind of do this until you have a lot of overlords, and you have control yeah. over your deck. And the overlords were really good at every single phase of the game, too. The thing about this kingdom is that the tools are there to do anything, we actually were trying to figure out uh, why one of us won when we won, and it turned out that the only really consistent pattern we could see, it wasn't like colliding Overlord with Lookout on turn three or what have you. It was just who got more Overlords, because the it doesn't almost matter what kind of draws you get here. Overlord has the tools to make your dream turn happen every turn. You can play it as ambassadors in the early game. You can play it as a city if you happen to draw an envoy. You can play it as procession if you happen to want to play your lookout for the last time. It's just a really versatile and fantastic card here. The fact that it um, that it's the same card and it transitions from a role of heavy deck control in the early game, yeah. and then you can all of a sudden just start playing it as governor. And now it's a payload card, and you don't have to you don't right. have to change the physical card in your deck. Um, that's a big deal in a game that that is so tight in terms of deck control because of ambassador, and then so explosive in terms of payload because of governor. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I tried like getting a real ambassador or lookout or governor just to try and save a few dollars, but like that, that just didn't seem to matter all that much. No. Overlord is just a really good card here. Especially because the main means of acquiring provinces was trashing gold into province from governor, so money almost only mattered to pay off debt here. Like, it didn't really matter when you... Like, you kind of wanted to keep getting overlords if they were available. Right, uh... I mean, you want to pay off your debt so you can get more overlords, right? Right, that's the only reason that you pay off the debt here is, so... Just to get more overlords. Yeah. Uh, Procession is a very good and, we think, underused card, and it was no less so here. A lot of the time we played Overlord as Procession rather than buy an actual one, but it was, you know, that, that turn where you've got a kind of crappy shuffle to get through and you Procession your Envoy into another Governor, it's... It's pretty solid. It feels good when you can draw the cards you gain off procession. And yeah. if you process Envoy, uh, you just drew a buttload of cards. So there's a chance right. you can do that. Yeah. So, yeah, this was a really interesting board. And in a two-player game, we definitely recommend you try it out. And uh, let us know what you think. Let us know if uh, you think we missed anything, too. If you think that there's anything you wish we talked about here. Yeah, as far as endgame play goes... Uh, Oh, right, yeah. Usually the person who was ahead just could green first and then win. And yeah. they do that by starting off by getting three provinces, which we said was good last time. So, yeah. Yeah. Bread. Sandwich. Right. Podcast. Typically, yeah, when you, when you have the opportunity to buy three provinces, uh, you probably do that. If you have the opportunity to buy four provinces, that's great, but you might question why you haven't started greening before that point. Because if you have the opportunity to buy four provinces... 
you might have been able to win a couple of turns earlier just by. It, it depends starting. on a lot, yeah. But yeah, it, right. I mean, three is certainly enough to get the job done once you've yeah. opened with three provinces and are you're, threatening to get three again next turn. Then your opponent's on the back shape. foot. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Also, uh, the the thing about grinning early here was that a lot of your vehicle for grinning was putting silver into your opponent's deck. And once you're at that point in the game, normally silver's a good card. But once you're at like the end game where you're doing that, your opponent really doesn't want the silver because they have to draw through it. Yeah, like a lot of times, I find that you know when my opponent gains gold and there are still governors left, I'm happy because I can remodel silvers into governor, and then I have more governors. But uh, that didn't matter because overlord's a card. Right. Oops. There were almost twenty governors here in a way. There were like fifty-five governors. There were like fifty-five governors. Yeah. Felt just like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so this uh, this kingdom really reminded me of like you know have you ever been to Seattle to the Pike Place Market and you go to the fish stores there? That was a really specific and leading question. No, I haven't, Adam. What's yeah, that like? So like uh, I mean, if you've ever gotten like a lobster roll or like a po' boy down south, like they come on this bread that's like kind of a baguette, but it's really fluffy and it's kind of like that got that buttery brush thing on the outside. It's real good. Ooh. It almost sounds like it was ill-gotten. Oh, I was thinking, like, oh. <laughs> it would be great if you put, like, something from the sea in that sandwich. Like a hag. Um, yeah. <laughs> sea hag lunch meat? All right, so sea hag lunch meat. Today we're talking about two cards, sea hag and ill-gotten gains. Yeah. These are both cards that are cursors, and they're cursors that have a very high opportunity cost. And they're also cards that will have a uh, widely variable impact on the game based on what's going on with the rest of the kingdom. There are going to be games where they absolutely dominate, and games where you can safely ignore them, or feel good about ignoring them, or bad if you bought them. Yeah, so uh, why don't we uh, read the text of these bad boys real quick? Uh, I think yeah. we've got a couple of things to say that apply to both of them, and then sure. we might do some uh, more specific discussion. So, um, Seahag, I want to read Seahag, because uh, for the lady on the card, uh, her, name, her name is Margaret, yeah. and uh, the two of us have a history. Yeah, I know uh, that she's a very special lady in your life. Yeah, it's, uh, I gotta say, how can, how can anyone resist that pink hair with that purple headband? You know, I never really noticed it, but she's kind of like an older version of an anime character. Like yeah, she's got particular the, she's anime got like in the, mind. Well, like uh, any anime that has like some pink-haired lady. I like to think that oh, like Sailor Chibi Moon. Yeah, or like Future Diary. She or was something. so annoying. Chibi Moon was like my least favorite. She's not even a Sailor Scout. <laughs> I don't. Sorry, Sailor Mercury for life. Sailor Mercury was by far my favorite Sailor Scout. I had a crush on her when I was in high school. Hashtag no shame. That's true. He does. He's looking me straight in the eye while he's saying this. But yeah, I like to think that when the anime character with the pink hair is done with the anime and she gets to go live out her life, eventually she starts gaining some weight and you know her her glory days are behind her and she turns into Sea Hag. She changes her name to Margaret. Margaret. Yeah. Margaret the Sea Hag. So anyway, uh, it's a four dollar <laughs> action. It's from the uh, Seaside <clears throat> expansion. And it says, each other player discards the top card of their deck, then gains a curse onto their deck. Yeah, mm. it does say that. That's, it's that's pretty so voluptuous. <laughs> so the other one we're going to talk about is Ill-Gotten Gains, and it's a treasure from the Hinterlands expansion. It costs five, 
and it gives you one dollar. That's right, it's a five-cost copper. Mm. When you play this, you may gain a copper to your hand, and then you can play that copper so you can kind of look at it as a silver that makes your deck worse. Now, when you gain this, each other player gains a curse. Mm. That's ill-gotten gains. Yeah. Five-cost copper, and when you gain it, everyone else gains a curse. Yeah, so like, uh, curses are bad, right? Yeah, you almost never want them. You never want them. You never want curses. All right, uh, let's talk about our next kingdom. Yeah, Apothecary. No, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it would actually be some pretty interesting design space as a side note if there was ever a card that, like, rewarded you for playing it with a curse or something, because that would turn a lot of other things on their head. Wait, you mean quest? <laughs> that actually did it. Everyone um, knows <laughs> Everyone knows that when quest is out, you completely ignore junking attacks. Oh, yeah, because they're just fueling your quest engine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> obvious. Yeah, so... I think these cards are a testament to how good junking is, right? Because, like, Seahag, she doesn't do anything, and she takes an action. Yeah. And, like... That's, that's, it's good some of the time, because giving curses is so bad. And, like, Ig, it sucks. It's way worse than silver and costs way more, but, like, you would buy this just to give your opponent a purple. Like, that's how good junking is. These cards suck, but, like, sometimes they're worth it, because you need to give out those purples. Yeah, Sea Hag takes up your terminal action, and it takes up a slot in your deck, and it takes up a slot in your hand. In other words, it reduces your hand size by one. And IgG is basically a junker for your opponent, but it's also a junker for you. It's giving you less bad junk, but it's still junk. So we're going to talk about how a lot of people look at these attacks as either on or off, in that it's not like Militia that does something all the time. Uh, It's... they're, They're attacks that either will completely hamstring your opponent or do nothing at all. I actually only think that's half true of these. Uh, well, I mean, depending on ham- what you mean by hamstring and nothing at all and half and true and only, then yes, Define- I agree with you. Define with. <laughs> um, so, like, a lot, of, a lot of cursors are good enough cards, like which, yeah. that, uh, you know, you put them in the deck, even if, there are way to, even if there's ways to deal with the curses... To trash the curses you still do it because it slows your opponent down enough and like you know these cards are decent enough they're they're not all that bad for your deck so yeah. so a lot of the, a lot of the other cursors are like this but seahag and ig are um worse they're not nearly as powerful as all of the other cursors in the game and that's, could, that's just a fact and you're gonna hear us come back to the term uh, a few times during this episode opportunity cost most of us probably know what that means but if you don't it's basically whatever you gave up by going for something whatever el- the next best option if you hadn't done that so the opportunity cost of sea hag is at least a silver if you had four you could have bought a silver two or or some other four cost like it, potion. Right. Um, rats. Or rats. <laughs> um, yeah, so the opportunity cost as well as your terminal action, if you draw it with another terminal... That's super gross. Yeah, the cost is playing it instead. The opportunity cost of IgG is even higher. You have to uh, spend a $5 buy on it, and it's usually a really bad card. Not always, but usually. And... So what else could you have bought instead, and would that have been better to help you win the game than giving your opponent a curse? Yeah, so, like, 
I mean, the opportunity cost is there for all the junkers, and it's especially present for these guys because mm-hmm. they suck. Right. So, so a lot of times, you know, when there's no way to get rid of the curses, of course the opportunity is worth it because the curses suck. Yeah, they 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 were even worse than Sea Hag. Like I would prefer to have a Sea Hag in my deck than to have a curse. I think in yeah. pretty much every situation. Right. Unless uh, no, yep, every situation. Yeah. So so um, it, it turns out that at least in my book, uh, at least for these two cards, Sea Hag and Ig. Ig is like IgG Ilgan gains Ig. It's funny. Ig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I call, I, but I call it Ig. Right. It, it turns out that. The, the way the metric that I use for whether or not I even want to bother with these cards is uh, you know how, how how easy is it to get rid of the curses so you want to look what happens when you do trash the curses and uh, compare it to what happens when you play the card sea hag or buy the card ig yeah that gives out the curses and, and this is actually a pretty good comparison to make I think yeah you can also we've talked before about how time in the land of dominion actually passes and shuffles you can look at what happens more often your opponent gaining a curse or your opponent trashing or mitigating a curse somehow if you're not giving your opponent curses much more often per shuffle than they are able to mitigate them or trash them then it was definitely a mistake to go for those junkers sure and so There's one final distinction I want to make before talking about the card specifically is uh, when we say ignorable or ignorable. Eh? Get it? I get it. Yeah, good. That was pretty funny. So uh, there's when when you say ignorable and like when I say, oh, well, I didn't buy Sea Hag and I won, that that's not exactly what I mean. So like a lot of times. Just because the card is on the board will cause me to play differently. I might thin and have uh, more tight deck control over my deck for longer than I normally would in order to yeah. accommodate for the fact that, oh, at any moment, my opponent could pick up this card and start junking me, and I need to be ready for that. Yeah, it also might mean that, in the same respect as an extension of that, that you green later. I, that's yeah. kind of the same thing as what Adam's saying, but... It means that the first few times you hit eight, you might not buy a province, because as soon as you do, if your opponent stayed thin and starts buying Sea Hag, you might never get another one. Sure, and and then there's the other side of that equation as well, where if I'm building my deck and I've thinned and I've decided, you know, it's not worth it to go for the Sea Hag, it's it's the opportunity cost is too high. Yeah. Then then I see my opponent and they don't invest in thinning at all. Or the ill gotten gains in this scenario as well. Sure, it it works for both of them. Yeah. But they're not investing in getting thin like this. So all of a sudden I see their deck is vulnerable to junking. They don't have the the deck control and these curses are going to hurt them a lot. Then in that case, I might go for the Sea Hag when I might otherwise not have done that. Yeah, and there's a sweeping point we can make about both of these cards too. And that's that if there is really good strong thinning or trashing options, then you pretty much don't go for these. Yeah. It almost doesn't even enter into the equation. And if there's no trashing at all, you pretty much definitely do go for these. It, that almost isn't a question that you ask. The interesting question is when there is trashing and it's not very good for it, like it doesn't want to hit curses or uh, it come, it's expensive or slow or something. And in those cases, what Adam's talking about, waiting for your opponent to 
fail the thin and then going for the sea hag or the igg that's a really smart play it does rely though on your opponent making a mistake because they made a mistake to do that so that's not a strategy that's a tactic that's yeah. not something you want to go into the game relying on happening that's that's true but it, it that consideration uh, will make you play differently in sure. order to prevent your opponent from doing that to you. So it's absolutely, you know, it's it's a preventative measure from you making that mistake. Yeah. And then also, it's yet another reason to not play a deck that has low deck control, even if you think it's better. Yeah, it's kind of like the nuclear option of Dominion. Yeah. It's like the threat of it being there is yeah. almost more impactful than it actually being there. That's that's actually a really good analogy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you were kidding at all, but like no, I actually think that's a really good analogy. No, yeah, it it is kind of, it feels that way. It feels huh. like you're kind of in a cold war. Um, so at one point until the curses start flinging. Then it's then it's a, a <laughs> then it's an actual war. war. Yeah. 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 So uh, at one point I mapped it out and I did a conservative estimate on like what percentage of games do I think I would not want to go for Seahag or Ig? Was it 55%? It was, a, it was, 55% was like my conservative. Like, it is at least 55%. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, that's true. I'd agree with that. And this is like really back of the napkin. The, the numbers are fuzzy, but like I convinced myself that like at least 55% of games were like... I see the sea hag and like I'm not going for it. I see the egg and I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Now I will say that the times when sea hag or igg does uh, turn out to be impactful or or devastating to your opponent, those times are very illustrative <laughs> and very very prominent in your mind. So a lot of people. Uh, might even think that these are uh, better more often than they are because those times when they are good, they burn. Yeah, so like the with Ig in particular, there's this there's this mentality I, I hear a lot of people say that like Ig just turns every game you see it into this Ig rush, and there's like okay, this canonical yeah. Ig rush. Yeah. So like the Ig rush goes like this: you open double silver, and you just Pile the eggs. You get or all the eggs. If you go five two, you open egg. Whatever. That feels. I mean, that feels That's a lot better. worse for your opponent. Yeah. So, yeah. Better for you. Worse for your opponent. Right. And uh, so you just you get all the eggs. All ten of them. They're gone. <clears throat> the curses are in your opponent's deck, and then two piles are empty because you know the eggs are gone yeah. and the purples are gone, and that holds for any number of players. Yeah. So the IGG rush is kind of the elephant in the room when we're talking about Ig. It's what a lot of people know it from, and it's how a lot of people actually found out that it could be a good card or a powerful card when they read it. Because you read the text of Ig, if that doesn't immediately flow through your mind of the three pile, you you know immediately it's terrible, right? Yeah, the duchies being the third pile. It doesn't have to be duchies, but like duchies yeah. right there, it's... Now, significant. Adam has said a few times that you pretty much never want to begin a game of Dominion and say, I'm going to win this way, especially if you're talking about a three pile. Uh, and I think that that's true 75% of the time at least. And I think IGG, if you've decided that the rush is good, is the one real exception to that. That's where you actually say, I'm going to win the game on a three pile. Because you can actually do it that way, and it requires a commitment from turn one or two. And Adam already kind of illustrated what it looks like, but just to kind of 
get into the details of it, the IgG pile is kind of linked to the curse pile in some respects. Once the ill-gotten gains run out, the curses run out too, except for the presence of Traitor, which that's the only card, I believe, that keeps them from leaving the pile. We're ambassador. Does Ambassador... Because Ambassador puts it back and then you gain it. Yeah, but then everyone can have a lighthouse in play. Oh, God. Yes. I did it! I found the end... Yeah, so... um, Yeah, the IgG pile is kind of linked to the curse pile, and if you get all or most of the ill-gotten gains in that respect, and the game is just going to end on that third pile, you've got two real distinct advantages for actually winning... You've got a better deck. It's still a really bad deck, but it has a bunch of IGGs which can function as silver if they have to. And your opponent has a lot fewer points because they have a bunch of curses. So you have this vision in your mind of winning it that way, and that can be a really powerful strategy. It's worth noting that it's also extremely fragile. So, you said it was a really powerful strategy, and I'm going to disagree with that. I don't think it's powerful. Okay. I think it's pa- I think it can it's only powerful relative to the other options it creates or shuts down. Okay, sure. Um in terms of speed and junking. Speed. Okay. So, let's talk about speed for a minute cuz a lot of sure. people say the Ig rush is really fast. Yeah. And um I mean, if everyone's going for it, then yes, it's going to be fast. If if every player in the game is buying the same cards from the same three piles... All of the two people in the game are buying the same cards from the same three piles. Sure. If, if they're all doing that, then those piles are going to get empty super fast, especially if one pile kind of counts for two, right? Yeah. So yes, that's going to be <clears throat> fast. But... If, if you're not doing that, when, when this Ig Rush is uncontested, it's actually really slow. Because, like... Let's say turns one and two, you open double silver. Let's say the rush gets perfect draws. So the next ten turns, they hit five, and they get an egg. Now, that's not going to happen, but let's say perfect draws, it happens. Okay. Two turns for silvers, ten turns for eggs, eight turns for duchies. Twenty turns, okay, mm-hmm. and you've gotten uh, eight duchies. So that's 24 points, and you got... Uh, you so you didn't trash your starting. So it's 20, 27 points, and they have ten purples they have to deal, deal with. Yeah. That's 20 turns. 20 turns is so many turns. That's a lot of turns, and it's actually a really good point. It leads into sort of the considerations for whether or not this is a good strategy to go for. The speed is actually not that fast in a vacuum. It needs to be fast relative to what else is going on. We say that the IgG rush strategy is a fast rush because it's ending the game and it's shutting down your opponent's options to do anything quickly at the same time as it's doing that. So it's not that it's fast by itself compared to other strategies, it's fast compared to what's going to be available on that board. And if other things are available that outpace it, of course, it wasn't the best call to go for. Okay, so then I'm just going to go out and say that, like, I, I don't think rush is a very good word to describe it. Because, like... Sure. If, okay. if there's no way to trash the curses, and I have no other way to give them to you besides Ig, then yes, I'm going to give you purples with Ig because giving purples is good. And then, like, yeah. once the purples are gone, then I'm going to figure out how I win the game. And, like, whatever support I have, well, it didn't really matter because I spent all my turns buying Ig, so it's not flexible at all. 
But it's like, not. Yeah, you, you go for duchies, and, and then you... And that's what you do. Or sometimes you might spike a province if you opened with some card that helps you, like Salvager or whatever. Yeah, Adam brought up earlier that you're... When he was talking about how it's not actually fast, how the speed is kind of an illusion, um, it's got a very low point ceiling as well. So the fragility of this strategy has to do as much with its low desired points as it does with its inability to pivot and it doesn't really have the ability to pivot it has a lot of stop cards and the best stop card creates more stop cards for the deck so it's really dependent on your opponent not finding a way to deal with the purples and then buy provinces like if he gets three you're kind of boned yeah so i I mean really with almost any way out there of dealing with curses yeah pretty much any way of dealing with the curses i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go for this right it's just such a high opportunity cost to go for the egg well it relies on a few things so if you can hit five reliably um you know that that'll help the strategy along Uh, luckily ig igg helps with this typically when you're playing that strategy you only gain the optional copper off of igg under two scenarios a you need it to hit five easy b uh you are playing with gardens and gardens is your pile instead of duchies Uh, worth noting with ig there are some really good support there's some really good support for it to be found in kingdom green cards I really think Gardens is at the top of the list in terms of support for Ig, because it, it raises that point ceiling. I actually disagree with that, but we can uh, get into what I think are a little stronger for Ig. Really? Because, like, yeah, Gardens is amazing. Ig and Gardens would actually make me consider going for Igs. I mean... I think it's too slow. It can, it yeah. can incorporate some other stuff. I mean, with Gardens, you're not necessarily always trying to be fast. Well, right. I mean, so when I say it's too slow, I mean compared to the other options I'm going to talk about. Not If Ig and Gardens are out, yes, I'm going for Gardens over the Duchies. But I'm talking about some of these other ones that I might consider over Gardens. Well, without ten cards, it's really tough to say. But, like, I think Gardens is at the top of my list. I think the other one at the top of the list is Salvager. Because uh, Salvager can trash Ig, and then yeah. you can buy Province, and that's that gets you more points. And and sure. really, I'm looking for support that costs less than five, because if you're going for the Ig Rush, uh, all of your five-plus-dollar buys are going to be spent on Ig until the eggs are gone. Yeah. And then you're getting points. Right, and there are some other kind of soft support elements to an Ig strategy, like if there are terminal silvers in the kingdom that cost less than five... I'm looking at something like Cut Purse or Militia or something like that. Uh, that card attacks a big deal. Yeah, that can help you along. Actually, really, any Terminal Silver that can do anything at all is good, so you might actually even buy Fortune Teller. Yeah. That, yeah. that Chancellor, huh? <laughs> yeah, that Chancellor. Rip in peace. Yeah. We, we hardly, hardly knew, knew you. you because uh, we never bought you. Too soon. Um... <laughs> Not too, soon enough, even. Too soon. <laughs> so uh, you also need to rely on very low expected payload for your opponent before the game ends. That means that your opponent can't really be able to reliably gain provinces in any way. Your main tool for that is the curses that you're disrupting him with. Yeah. So here's the thing about gaining curses. Gaining curses, not all curse gains are created equal. 
the longer you have a curse in your deck, the more times you're going to draw it. And that's actually the bad part about curses. It's not the negative points, though those suck. It's actually that you draw them, and that's what really sucks. Ill-Gotten Gains is the only card in Dominion that by itself can put a curse into your opponent's deck on the very first shuffle. Messenger says hi. Other than Messenger. <laughs> so, Ill-Gotten Gains, if you can open with it on turn one, or if you went first and you get it on turn one or two, then that actually is the optimal time to put a curse into your opponent's deck because they're going to draw it the most times throughout the game. Yeah, it feels really bad to just get wrecked because there was a curse in your deck, and what were you going to do about that? I right. think that happened to me. I've just lost... I lost... Multiple games. Yeah. Someone just gave me a curse, and I just couldn't hit five ever. It yeah. never happened. It can Felt really so do that. Bad. Imagine if you had four estates, and one of them was not worth a point, and was worth a negative. That's imagine like, if you had a curse in your deck. Imagine, <laughs> that's like basically the same thing as gaining a lab. Or right, like, or losing, losing a lab. Losing a lab. Losing yeah. a lab on yeah. turn. Yeah. It's like trashing a lab. So... We've talked a lot about the ups and downs of the egg strategy, like the the reasons that it's good, the reasons that it's not so good. When we're talking more about... reasons that it's not so good, <laughs> and we we talked about that. Let's talk about some things that encourage you to go for it or to not go for it. What, what do you think of bank? What do I think of bank? Yeah, you think egg with bank is good? No, you gain a cop. You gain a copper to hand. And then, and then the bank it turns is worth bank more. into a gold. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Oh yeah, why? Why is it terrible? What? How did you hit seven? Oh an yeah. Okay, right. And also, the entire point of bank is that you draw a bunch of cards and have plus buy, and then that makes that seven cost treasure worth it. But oh yeah, yeah. So no, not bank. Okay, not bank. So, like, the main other, the other use case, which actually happens a lot, like, I think this is where Ig is actually good most of the time, and I see it frequently, is, like, say there's other junking attacks on the board. Yeah, okay, uh, like there's Mountebank. Yeah, so, like, there's this other attack on the board, and that's your high. main, oh, oh, yeah, Melinda, Melinda, oh, Margaret. God. Margaret, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, uh, my... M- you know, I, I really there's only room for one woman in my life, and that's and that's my wife. And, yeah. But anyway, Adam's a married woman, and what? Poor, Adam's a married man. I mean, and, I'm very in touch with my feminine side, but uh, that's I mean, there's some parts of my life. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so a lot of times, this other junking attack is happening, and you. Uh, you want to get the last couple of curses, and you, maybe you're not going to see your junking attack. So you can just get an ig to shove the last couple curses into your opponent's deck, and then you know that can tip the scales one way or the other. That can be pretty useful sure. and certainly worth putting the kind of crappy card in your deck in order to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a case where kind of a tactical ig rather than the strategic one that we've been talking about is really yeah. viable. So we've been talking about deciding from the get-go that Ig is how you're going to win the game. Um, but when there are these other cards that are more important, so Ig to clutch out the last one or two curses can be a pretty powerful buy. And we come back again to uh, Ig is one of the more brutal ways to gain a curse because it's kind of on demand. You don't have to buy this cursor and then play it. You, you just buy it and then the cursing just happens. 
Right. So I think uh, a lot of the times this doesn't mean you don't go for the other junker, and uh, that's. I think it means you definitely do go for the other junker. Right, and and Ig is just something to supplement it at the end. Yeah. I think maybe maybe an exception to that would be familiar sometimes. Sure. But uh, that kind of depends on a lot of other stuff. Yeah, familiar is one that we are not getting into in this episode, but is kind of akin to these other cards in that it's a very high opportunity cost trasher or junker. Yeah, uh, that's uh, you know the potion's a big deal, and and you can yeah. get the curses in sooner. And and even then, I'm not I'm not suggesting that rushing the eggs is very good. This is particularly good against an opponent that's going for familiar because you can even stop them from hitting three potion, right? right. If you can throw some curses in there, it's harder for them to buy the familiar. And then um, then I'm not really committed to uh, necessarily putting all ten of the curses in their deck because uh, that's unrealistic. Yeah. But like most of the time, I'm buying other good cards to put in my deck, and I'm trying to buy provinces at that point. Sure, yeah, and you have to to decide to clutch out the last couple of curses with Ig. You need to decide that that those curses are actually important. You need yeah. to decide that the curse split is really important, and a lot of the time it isn't. Like if I am looking at the last few curses, and I've already trashed a bunch of them, like with Chapel or Steward, and they hit five. I'm probably not going to buy the egg if those tools to just trash the curse are there anyway. It's, it's really easy to make the comparison of, like, I'm going to add a lab to my deck because I can just draw those extra curses one time, trash them because I have control over my deck, right. and now I've got this lab in my deck. And, <laughs> and that's better than, you know... Buying, yeah. not buying the lab, but buying this crappy card, and then giving my opponent a curse that probably doesn't hurt them all that much either. Now, I do want to come back to something. Adam had said that he typically will ignore ill-gotten gains if there is any trashing at all. I disagree with that. So Any curse trashing. Right, so we talk about the... Right, obviously. <laughs> uh, we, talk about, we talk about a lot of the trashing in the game, and... It kind of comes at a cost, too. So not all trashing is really good for thinning out curses. If you're looking at something really expensive like Alter, or the only trashing is Develop, or even Remodel, not everything wants to hit curses, and even if it does want to hit curses, every curse that they have to trash with it is something else that they wanted to trash that they didn't get to. So junking your opponent in those cases can slow them down quite a bit. Um, Alter's kind of a weird example because it gains fibers. Yeah, but it's hard to get it. can be Ig. Right, that's true. If I'm playing an Ig game with you and Ig is the only junker and Alter is the only trasher, I'm going to be very happy if I hit six early and I'm going to get that Alter and I'm going to crush you because I hit six. If you happen to do that, yeah, yeah. sure. And I'm going to I'm going to open double silver and I'm going to hope real hard that it happens. Yeah, that's the thing though is that in an ig game if your opponent's junking you with ig, ever getting 6 is kind of getting 6 by the time you need to. It's I think it's probably going to happen cuz like if you're going to go for duchies too, uh, you know, Eventually. alter gains duchies. Well, okay, we'd, yeah. We'd have to be pretty late in the game for me to not want that altar. Yeah, and hitting right. six isn't super unlikely. Like, I can just gain a copper sometimes and make it happen. Yeah, that's true. So, the other thing that actually definitely encourages you to go for Ig and commit to using Ig to end the game and win, and we've talked about this a little bit already, are green cards that are in the kingdom. 
specifically ones that cost less than five. The thing about the IgG rush and getting the duchies, the duchies are actually a really bad option for that. It's just your kind of cheapest one that makes sense. You're probably not going to want to go for estates. And, uh, like, hitting five all the time, once you've got those green cards and copper is your only money, is not super reliable. So if you, there is something in the kingdom, like, I think the, wor- the, the bottom of the barrel is tunnel, but you could also look at gardens or mill, and then you're much happier. Um, well, mill's great because it helps you at five. Mill is fantastic for that deck. It's, it's pointiness is... Uh... Somewhat less important than its ability, I think. Tunnel, uh, I mean, high duchy. But, like, uh, I mean, I think gardens is tippy-top. Like, gardens can be worth a lot of points, and they're super great. Um, Silk roads? I'm really not sold on the silk roads here. It's a four-cost pile that only has eight cards in it. Okay. I mean, duchy's pretty good. Right, I'm saying, but the Silk Roads are going to be easier to hit every single turn. You might miss Duchy. You're not going to miss Silk Road. Silk Roads are going to be worth, what, uh, two points each? Yeah, they're going to be worth some points. That's worse than Tunnel. Might be worse than Tunnel. Yeah. But anyway, the idea is that if there is another source of points that's more efficient than estates. Estates are bad. Um, but Man, if you, I, I really think it's only gardens here. I actually will say that estates aren't always bad. Uh, one phenomenal piece of support is Baron for the IgG deck. Oh, whoa, whoa. yeah. Excuse me? I'm big on this. Here's the thing with Baron and ill-gotten gains. And Adam doesn't agree. You can already hear it. Tell, tell, me, how, tell me how you're going to line up that Baron with that estate. In an you don't deck. have to. You don't have to do that. The thing is, I win the IGG split, and there's two piles down. I play Baron. I'm either getting a bunch of money, that's great, or I'm buying two estates. I am zeroing down that third pile like that. What? How, how did that go again? Like that. Wow, I've never tried that technique in a game of Dominion. Yeah, you gotta do it really fast. Like that. The first one, yeah, that one was pretty good. Yeah, it was a good snap. You've obviously had some practice with this. Yeah, uh, I played a lot of IGG games. I mean, Baron's good in the beginning of the game, but man, I just I'm not sold you open on it with being it and like a silver. Yeah, a prime egg enabler. It just doesn't seem like the the best place for Baron here, man. Uh, we got to play some games with IGG and Baron. It's actually see the thing is it speeds up the egg. I think it, I think it's worse than Fortune Teller. I will well, be Baron very happy. Baron to kind of disabuse you of that no. notion. No, yeah. Let's let's simulate Baron Ig versus Fortune Teller Ig. I bet Fortune Teller Ig wins more. I'll be very happy to disabuse you of that. Alright, let's go. Yep. I'm just making this up, but like I I think my money's on Fortune Teller. Alright. Bring it. Yeah. Okay, so um <laughs> So I, I guess uh, I guess there's a couple of other things that have synergy. Um Taxman is is kind of decent. Yeah, because um, it can gain golds. Well, it can gain igs. Oh, you right. can tax man sure. an ig into an ig, and which you... is pretty good because of the attack. Right, it's got that discard attack feature on it as well. Sure. So um, tax man and ig, they, they do have a little bit of synergy. It, it does kind of help. Um, well, it, it depends on what you're doing at that point. Because if you've decided that you want to win in a more traditional method, then 
tax manning the egg into a gold might be better. It depends on if there's purples left, right? Sure. And, uh, depends on if you think they have an egg in hand or whatever. But it, it can be a good thing to do. There's there is yeah. synergy there. Uh, coppersmith rip in peace. Egg coppersmith used to actually be good back in the day. Yeah. Uh, thief. Uh-huh. Uh I mean, Thief Egg is actually, like, redonk in games with more than two players. Games with what? Yeah, more than two players. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Thief was actually good in those games, but... Uh, yeah, right. Egg is, is actually quite good, because if you hit their Egg, then um, you, you get the Egg, and you've gained it, so they you give them the purples. So that's kind of cool. That does actually sound super annoying. Yeah. And I've never had that happen to me, but I'm kind of glad. I actually won a tournament game. Uh, really? Yeah. Using thief, there was gardens too. So like thief gardens was good enough. Okay, but Ig was also in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. So the times when you'll definitely avoid IgG, like the plague, are, or at least you'll most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time. We've already gone over really robust trashing, but uh, a lot of the time you'll definitely avoid working Ig into your end game is when there's another cursing attack. I know a lot of the times that means you'll buy Ig to clutch out the curse pile, but if you're trying to end the game with Ig, the other cursing attack unlinking those curses from the Ig pile means that you're, the Ig player has to spend a $5 buy on something that's not winning the game. Yeah, that feels bad. For a moment, you, you talked about like Ig in the end game, and I'm like, oh, is this because everything is the end game with you? <laughs> no, that's not... No, uh, the other thing that definitely... like Cards that by themselves hard counter ig to the point that you don't even really want to consider it uh ambassador you just your opponent gives the curses right yeah, back that's, to you that's all junking attacks really yeah masquerade masquerade doesn't yeah. counter all junking attacks like this but um definitely ig doesn't do it enough to sure matter. i mean masquerade I counters ig just like it counters other junking attacks right and Traitor. Traitor is the hardest counter to Ig, in my opinion, because it's it stops weird. the curse from even happening. Yeah, it's weird, though, because, like, Traitor and Ig have synergy. Yeah, right? So, like, a lot of times you just do it anyway, because the Ig isn't really that bad in that deck. Right. You collide Ig and Traitor, and now you have options. You can either Traitor the Ig for 55 silvers. I know it's, I know it's only... 55 silvers, though. Yeah. Or you can not play the trader and then like gain coppers and then trader reveal and gain silvers instead which is pretty neat i mean sure. you don't get them in hand but like you get options and you can silver flood decently that way so trader egg is weird that's fair and i hadn't really thought about that dynamic i do know that it definitely kind of shuts down the attack any basically anything that unlinks a curse from an from the egg pile yeah. kind of shuts down the attack not in terms of happening it shuts down the attack's ability to win the game Oh, uh, yeah, sure. That, that'll that crap all over the egg rush. Yeah. Uh, and then in a mirror match, it's a little different. It's pretty much luck, like most mirror matches are. The thing is, if you and your opponent both do the same thing and execute it similarly, it doesn't really even matter what it is. It's going to kind of come down to luck. And, and, and first player advantage. Right, and an IgG rush isn't really much of an exception to that the ways that you could give yourself an edge if you're both going for it are identifying a better support card like a better uh, terminal silver than your opponent bought for the rush or you know managing the shuffles a little bit better but mostly it's going to be luck 
Yeah, uh, I think in the mirror, though, like, games are won a lot of times by who can spike a province more. Yeah. So if there's any kind of support that helps you do that, like a draw card or something. Sure. Uh, you know, getting getting a lucky province or getting more lucky provinces. Lucky being, you know, you make your own shuffle lucky provinces. Right. Uh, if you can set yourself up to do that, that's usually how the mirrors are decided. Yeah. And I know I said that Militia is decent support for an IgG rush strategy. It's yeah. also pretty bad to hamper it, too, any discard attack. So three-card hands suck. Three-card hands suck even more when your deck sucks. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're relying on having a hand size of five and those coppers are the five that hit you duchy, well, Oops. Militia's, that's not happening. Your opponent plays Sorry, Militia. Sorry, Yep. <clears throat> yeah got anything else to say about Ig? no uh not really cool. uh, i think All we've right. covered Ig as much as it can be covered please let us know if you've used it to some avail in some way we haven't talked about yeah let's let's move on to melissa Ma- melissa grit <clears throat> melba Murray, Mary. Murray. Sure. Let's move on to Murray, Mary. Oh, definitely buy IgG if Keep is out. Okay, so Sea Hag. Um, <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, so Sea Hag. You can, you can open with Sea Hag a lot of time. Yeah. And, and it does nothing, and that feels bad. Yeah. <laughs> so um, It doesn't help you at five, and like if there's another Junker that costs five, I don't yeah. want it. Sea Hag reduces your hand size by one when you play it and takes up a terminal action. It's so bad. It's, it's reducing the potency of your turns when you play it by a lot. It's so a bad card, man. The thing about Sea Hag is playing it and buying it is going to slow you down from the things you want to do. The idea and the reason you would do it is that it slows your opponent down more. Uh, yeah, that, that usually means that they can't get rid of the curses. Yeah. Or that it, it costs more for them to get rid of the curses than it costs you to put the curse in their deck. Correct, yes. So, like, you know, I buy a Sea Hag, you buy something that trashes cards. Okay, that was roughly the same. And now I play the Sea Hag, you get a purple. So when you play the thing that trashes the purple, uh, we kind of want it to do more <clears throat> for your deck than my Sea Hag did for me. Which isn't hard, because the Sea Hag does absolutely nothing for me and takes up an action. Right, if you can do as good as nothing... God, Melinda! Sorry. Yeah, she she struggles sometimes. <laughs> so Sea Hag, again, is one of the only pure attacks in Dominion, and those really need to be super brutal for your opponent, because like Adam said, they don't do anything for you. Yeah. But but Adam, if I discard your Sea Hag with my Sea Hag, then I'm gonna win the game! Well, yeah, there you are. And there's like a 1 in 12 chance of that happening, and I'm not going to play around that. Right, that's true. Seahag can, a lot of the times when the curse split is important and Seahag is powerful, be a really swingy and random card based on what it happens to mill, the same way Swindler can. But a lot of the time that means that you actually buy two Seahags and just ignore the problem altogether. I I gotta be honest with you, it's... A lot better than Swindler, because Sea Hag is just, like, one incredibly unlikely outcome that, like, gets you right between the legs, right? Yeah. And Swindler is, like, a somewhat common outcome, or maybe a somewhat uncommon, like, oh, I hit your estate, that, like, 
it, it, it gets you right between the legs, but it's way less effective to whine about that because it's so much more likely to have, like, a bad yeah. outcome for you than, like, oh, you hagged my hag. That was unlikely, and it sucked. And, and Whining was, about yeah. that is way better. That's true. It's important to identify the things that you want to whine about at the beginning of the game so that you're ready when they happen. Um, but <laughs> the, um, You know what? He may be kidding, but, like... <laughs> That's a core philosophy I have. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Sea Hag is. <laughs> Look at you trying to move on. <laughs> Keep us on track. No! No! Whining! <laughs> oh, God. So, so yeah, it, it costs me more to trash the curses than it costs you to play the sea hag. Maybe I don't want to, um, maybe that means I don't ignore the sea hag. So, like, uh, what does the curse trasher do for me? Yeah, and a lot of the time if that's it trashes two cards, then what the curse trasher did for you was trash the curse and trash a card, which is really good. Yeah, so, like, you have to take into consideration that, like, they just had to draw one sea hag, and then they, um... They got to play it, and you have a curse. You actually have to draw your treasure with the curse, which isn't always going to happen. Yeah. But, like, that's what makes cards that trash multiple cards. Like, I'm looking at Steward, Chapel Remake, those guys. Things that don't need to trash from your hand are also a worthy consideration, like Hermit. Uh, sure. Uh, that's a little more difficult, because Sea Hag yeah. top decks the curse, but, but, I mean, Lookout, I think, is a, is a little better of an yeah. example. So you don't have to, to actually draw it. Or um, the the trashers that are non-terminal, essentially, so that you can play more than one per turn. So now I just pick up two of them, and now I'm thinning faster than you're junking me. Yeah. At the end of that, I'm going to have a better deck. So maybe I'm not going to get the Sea Hag. Although we're starting to get we're starting to get into the gray area. The other one is to look at the other benefit that that trasher is going to give you. So yeah. I'm looking at Bishop. Hey, I get VP tokens. That's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Or um, trade is pretty sweet. You get silvers, and silver's a good card. Right. Uh, what I'm that not... implies, though, that you hit five and had a curse in hand. Yeah. I hit five all the time, bro. Do you even hit five, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam hits five all the time. Yeah, He's the world like... champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... Now, if you're looking for the other, you know, the darker gray here, uh, I'm going to look at some of the night cards, like Monastery or Exorcist. Uh, these these cards, you know, they don't take up an action, but they're harder to play multiples of in a turn. They don't really do anything besides trashing the curse, or like a trade route or a catapult that, uh, you know, doesn't really give you anything relevant for trashing that curse, but, uh, you know, also takes an action. These are the ones where, yes, I'm going to go for them because <clears throat> curses suck and I want them gone, but I'm probably also going to go for the Sea Hag in this case. So, yeah. so uh, Melbalina here is not completely ignorable. Yeah, poor Melbande. She is, um... <laughs> so, it's worth noting something else about the cursing attack of Sea Hag, and just to speak to how brutal of an attack it can be sometimes. We talked before with Ig about how not every gained curse is equal in terms of the impact it has and Ig is impactful as a curse giver because it does so on demand and it can do so from turn one or turn or two Sea Hag puts the curse on top of your deck remember that curses are compoundingly bad based on the number of times you draw them 
any curse that Seahag gives you versus a curse you got some other way is a curse you're drawing one more time than oh. if you had just gained it to your discard pile. Meaning that Seahag can be seem to be, a, in some ways, a more brutal attack than something like Witch, you know, the benefit of Witch aside. So that's kind of the trade-off, is that you're playing a worse card for a better attack. I don't know, do you have anything else to say about Seahag? No, I, I think uh, I think me and Melissa are uh, about uh, about done here. Uh, I've given them all M names, and we haven't used Megan yet. Yeah, that's because Megan is the the only one for me. All right, so that was that was a that was a great uh, haddock sandwich from the sea. What is haddock? It's a type of fish. Oh, good. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just like a, a, a squeeze of lemon juice, or maybe a little bit of malt vinegar, if you're mm. into that kind of thing. Yeah, I could get into some malt vinegar. Yeah, lemon juice with the tartar sauce, but uh, malt vinegar on its own. Mm. Now I want some malt vinegar. Uh, but but it's I got to tell you, um, I'm gonna need the other the heel of this uh, delicious lobster roll bread. Yeah, that we have going on here. I have no idea what we're eating at this point. It's um, a fish sandwich, Jay. All right, great. <laughs> so apothecary, loan, bridge, cut purse, noble brigand. Sea Hag, Bazaar, Outpost, Tactician, Witch, and the Event Annex. Once more, for our audio-only listeners, or anybody who wasn't really prepared for me to just jump in like that, we have Apothecary, Loan, Bridge, Cutburse, Noble Brigand, Sea Hag, Bazaar, Outpost, Tactician, Witch, and we have an event annex. Obviously, because there's apothecary out, a potion, potions are available too. Uh, yeah, look, look at that apothecary loan synergy. It's so oh, delicious. Loan can trash coppers, and it can hit potion, and you can decline to trash the potion because you bought it so you could get apothecaries. Oh, I was thinking so like, good. you use apothecary... <laughs> to uh, draw all your coppers and potions, and then nothing is left for your loan to trash except for the non-copper treasure. And then loan just gives you money with no downside. It's so good. <laughs> all right. Boom! <laughs> oh, such synergy. Man. Okay, so what are we doing on this board? Uh, well, uh, there's two ways to give your opponent curses, and there's no way to trash curses. Right. So cursing is important, uh, especially because if you don't curse your opponent... Then they can play this double tactician deck with bazaars and bridges and outposts and just run over you. Yeah, but if you do try to play that deck and you haven't really respected the cursing, you are going to have a very bad time. Your opponent's going to play big money witch and destroy you. Yes, well, I mean... Or big money sea hag or whatever. I guess. uh, Big money witch is certainly better because witch is a better card than sea hag. Yeah, yeah. and I think on a 5-2 you're definitely opening witch. For sure. I think on a 4-3, I'm opening Witch by cheating. No, I'm kidding. Right. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to open with two cards that help me get a Witch, so I'm looking at uh, probably Cut Purse and Silver. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I might actually go for the Sea Hag Silver instead, because or Sea Hag Loan, because the thing is... Cut Purse Loan. Yeah, okay, I want Cut Purse Loan, but yeah. Okay, well, I might go with Sea Hag loan because the loan is going to help me thin to play the Sea Hag more. And like we said, Sea Hag is a pretty brutal card, especially early on, because it's making you draw the curse immediately. And also, you get to open with it. 
Okay. It's going to help you win the curse. The more I think about it, like, if I'm going to get a Sea Hag, I think the Silver is probably a better card for the deck. Because what you don't want to do is just, like, trash Discard all your economy them. and then um, not have anything left and just have a deck that plays Sea Hag. I, well, I don't you, think that's good. Well, you stop before then. You stop, you stop trashing with Loan before that point. But uh, if I'm giving you curses, you're going to have a hard time, like hitting three sometimes. But I think I might get there before you start giving me curses if you've committed to Witch being your cursor. Uh, well, I mean, there are worlds where I don't hit five and I'm sad, but uh, even then, I think I think Witch is a better card. I'm, go- I'm going for Witch. I think Cut Purse is, uh, I think Cut Purse is a good card uh, to open with to get me to a Witch. I think Witch is fine here. Yeah. Uh, go, cut Purse if you go first, too, is pretty good, too. Because uh, yeah, it, it, it nerfs your nerfs if you if you have first player advantage, buying the cut purse guarantees that you nerf uh, money out of your opponent's hands. So that I could actually see being a really legitimate consideration. That you could actually see being a legitimate see hag ignorable. Uh, uh, all right, I so, don't think see hag's um, good here because of which. No, I mean like I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, man. I think Seahag is going to be a good way to get the jump on the curse split. All right, good for you. I'm, I look forward to crushing you in these both in these barren ig <laughs> games with Fortune Teller and also yeah. on this board by not getting Seahag. All right. I'm yeah. going to open Outpost Copper. Take right. that, Marissa. So, yeah. <laughs> Take that, Marissa. <laughs> Take it. I'm buying Marissa. All right, so... Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's. I think that's about all I got for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that's about all I got too. This oh, been... we should tease the uh, the next episode because we've actually. Oh yeah, it. you got a YouTube comment on one of your videos asking for something in particular, asking where it was even. Yeah, so it's been like five months since Nocturne was released, and uh, I haven't talked about it. And there's a good reason. Uh, Donald X has asked me not to talk about it, so. Uh, I'm not talking about it. But he said it was okay. Uh, reason being, uh, you know, I did playtest the expansion a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it's been long enough for people to discover things on their own without some guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about. Hi. Uh, telling you what he thinks. And regardless of how wrong I am, uh, you know, there's there's good reasons why I shouldn't be blabbing soon. So it's time for me to blab. Yeah, so you'll have Adam who thinks he knows what he's talking about, and you'll have me who knows I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to be talking anyway. Yeah. So We're going to we'll talk about gonna... the Nocturne cards. Yeah, Nocturne cards. Uh, so. Also, I wanted to give a shout-out. Uh, I didn't. We didn't address this in the audio version last week, but I did put something in the uh, in the video portion of our video podcast about uh, the card <laughs> images that are displayed along with, uh, with our voices. Right. Um, and our silky, caramel, baritone voices. <laughs> That sounds delicious. I want some ice cream now with silky caramel baritone syrup voices on it. That's not weird. Voices? In your Let's just go with cookie right, dough. so, yeah. Cookie, cookie, cookie dough. dough ice cream. You can't go I wrong want some with of cookie that. dough. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty delish. But, uh-huh. but anyway, uh, a lot of people commented. And, you know, they said they liked the images, and I'm going to continue to do them. But, like, uh, thank you for actually commenting. Yeah. Uh, it's it's nice to know that people out there are watching. Uh, so, you know, if, you, if you're if you listening to this or watching it on the video podcast, 
uh, you know, leave comments or uh, post in the forums. Go yeah. to adamhorton.com. Post in the forums there. We like hearing from you. We like hearing what you think about the kingdoms and all sorts of other stuff. And particularly after next episode, you can tell us how wrong we were about things <laughs> and exactly what things we were wrong about. This and is I can't true. wait. Yeah, no, I can't wait either because I've had even less time to form these inept opinions about Nocturne cards than I have about most of Dominion. Sweet. So I'm going to have even worse things to say than I normally do. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. Yeah. yeah. You get to be so right by correcting me. <laughs> yes, and that's different than normal. How? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's all I got to say. Yeah, same. Well, uh,. Thanks for thanks for listening. All right, uh, we'll catch you next time here on Making Luck, the Dominion Podcast. More brutal attack than something like Witch you know, the benefit of which aside. So that's kind of the trade-off, is that you're playing a worse card for a better attack. Adam is mesmerized by the cat. We'll probably edit this out, but this is adorable. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get up here where the windows open. And do open what? Windows, and, like, leave? Nice What's he going to leave? No, there's, there's a screen up there. But he's, he's not good at jumping. He hasn't <laughs> encouraged him to jump. <laughs>